When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sports Day for Kia, the all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And for McDonald's, crispy, crunchy golden onion rings are back at Macca's and they come with tangy barbecue sauce. This is Sports Day. Yes, g'day everybody. Welcome to Sports Day on this Friday night. Sports Day thanks to Kia. Epic has arrived, the all-electric Kia EV9 and also McDonald's, the Chicken Big Mac is back at Macca's. Adam White with you again on this Friday night in Melbourne and over in Adelaide. Daniel Menzel joins us as he has all week. Dan, welcome. Whitey, how are you going? What a day of cricket we've had and it's changed in the last hour. You went along to the MCG today, didn't you? I did. I took my two boys along to the MCG for the, the first half of the day and um, it was a beautiful day weather-wise, absolutely perfect, not too hot, bright sunshine and the cricket was good. Um, and now the cricket is continuing to be good and it's continuing because we've got a situation here that with Pakistan just losing its seventh wicket literally moments ago, they have decided to play on for another half hour because there is a chance. And I think it's a realistic chance too, mind you, of a result tonight. So um, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure they would. I thought maybe they needed to be eight down for them to take the extra half hour. But they have. So currently, as it stands at the moment, Pakistan, 7 for 227. Salman's still there. He's on 38. And Shaheen Shahafredi has yet to face a ball. But there's been a couple of moments, Dan, where it, where it has genuinely looked through today that Pakistan was on top in the, in the cricket match. Whenever it looked like they were about to take hold of the game, um, they gave up that, uh, that dominance and Australia took hold again. They did. They were five for 219, which meant that they still had five wickets in, in, in hand and needed only 100 runs to get to win this match. So it now that they're seven for 227, needing 90 to win, they've taken the extra half an hour. If you're Pakistan, you're not happy with that, are you? You've lost a couple of quick wickets. Do you want to take stock and go, hey, let's go into tomorrow and start again? And it's just 90. Like, it's not 190. It's not 200. That, that's actually a really interesting question. I, I'm i not sure. I'm not sure. I, because I think because they've just lost two wickets. I feel like they're sort of at shambles at the moment. They're all over the shop. So, yeah. Whereas Australia have got their tails up right now because of those two wickets that they have just taken, which has put them right in the driver's seat. But, yeah, I feel like if you're Pakistan, you're going, hey, we'd, we'd probably take stumps right now and, and be able to reset tomorrow. I, I think the I agree with you largely on that. I think the only thing against that is that Salman is batting so well that he's rolling and he can score quite quickly and he is their only chance. So for him to keep rolling now as opposed to come back tomorrow morning and restart cold, I think that might be a negative for Pakistan. But as you say, at the same point, Australia have taken two reasonably quick wickets to get a little bit of momentum going. So yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I, I think they could, that one could go either way. Yeah, I, I definitely do as well. And, I mean, if you're someone, do you want to be batting right now at this time of night, heading into stumps or 
reset. Look, it's a, it's a good question. But Pakistan, they've had their opportunities to win this test match, and they still might. But, geez, they've had great, great sessions in this test and unfortunately might leave the test with no result. Well, Brad Sanderson is live at the MCG, part of our SEN test cricket coverage, and, and we'll ask him these questions because he knows more about it than we do because he is there. Brad, uh, welcome to Sports Day. Oh, welcome, guys. Thank you for having me. And yes, we have uh, gotten into the extra half hour. No, extra, extra half hour, I should say. Um, so, umpire Joel Wilson and all of us here are keen on this game finishing today. Either way, maybe Pakistan will storm to victory in half an hour, but the more likely result being Australia getting those three wickets they need. Well, well first start, were you surprised that the extra half hour, hour was allocated? Because I don't think Pakistan is going to get the runs in, in half an hour, but it's still three wickets to be taken. Uh, yeah, no, I was, to be honest. Uh, generally, if, if the team ends up being eight wickets down, or definitely if they're nine wickets down is when uh, you end up with the extra half hour. But uh, maybe the umpires have decided taken a call on the, <laughs> the Pakistani tail <laughs> and said, nah, look, we've seen how they go. Uh, we think it, it's enough time for Cummins to... Uh, it, it, that's exactly how it played out, though. I mean, as soon as the last wicket fell, uh, you could see umpire Joel Wilson walk to Pat Cummins in the huddle and ask him or inform him that they were keen on taking the extra half hour. But uh, ever since they have take the, taken the extra half hour, Pakistan have scored 15 runs of eight balls. So, game on. Yes. Uh, now, Dan's got lots of questions for you as well, but the one that we, we've got to talk about off the top is the, the Rizwan dismissal. Now, he was mm. adamant that it didn't hit the sweatband on the way through. It, he tried to duck out of a bouncer, and it's hit him on the on the forearm. He felt above the sweatband on the glove, but evidence suggested otherwise. Are you comfortable with the dismissal and uh, how it was handled by the third umpire? Absolutely. I think he, uh, Richard Ellingworth went through the uh, process really well. It made it very clear what was happening, and from any angle that he looked at it, it could, you could make out that the ball did hit the uh, it did hit the the rim of his glove, and also you know whether it was Hawkeye or Snicko, everything showed that. Um, what I'm really intrigued by is what that big white mark on his forearm was. Yes. Uh, like, does a, does a red ball make that big a white mark on him? I have no idea, really. So it was just strange what was happening. But he started arguing with the Australian players long before the umpires had to intervene. Uh, the first time, first replay went up on the screen and you could see the Australians already breaking into a sort of mini-celebration. Uh, he put his arm, put it, put his arm up and arms up, and started arguing with them. And then he carried on, and that's when umpire Wilson had to come and step in and say, "Well, you can't just do that. Uh, that is sort of dissent." Um, and, but yeah, I'm 100% happy with uh, uh, how it played out. Though there'll be uh, millions of Pakistani cricket fans who will disagree. If you don't believe me, just go to social media. <laughs> Barat, you're right. It'll be talked about uh, after this match is concluded. We spoke about it live and said this might be the difference in the match, whether this is given out or not. I want to take you back to that when it was Pakistan with five for 219, requ- requiring 98 more runs to win. At that stage, did you actually think, hang on, Pakistan are going to win this game? N- not really. I mean, I'd still put Australia, well, 70-30 ahead at that stage because... 98 runs is a lot of runs, right? And yep. Against this Australian bowling attack. Uh, as we've seen throughout this test, and especially today, 
every time there's been a bit of a partnership and there's not been a big major partnership. We are not talking a 140-run partnership, right? There's been 40-run partnerships. There was that 50-60 run partnership. Um, but, you know, what's happened, the Grinch Pat Cummins has come in and, you know, whoever has dared to dream of a miracle win, he's completely just shut them up. <laughs> and uh, he's had that kind of test match, Pat Cummins, as captain and as bowler. Um, and he just continued to do that. Uh, it happened earlier today when Shan Masood and Babar Azam were batting really well. He came out and knocked out Shan Masood. And the uh, same with Rizwan and Amir Jamal, who batted really well in the first innings, don't forget, uh, to get into that tail. I mean, the tail starts with Shaheen Shah Freedy. Uh, but having said that, Aga Salman still out there batting beautifully. He averages 44 with the bat. So uh, he's made two test hundreds in this calendar year. So he's very, very capable. And it's good to see him uh, get put on a fight. But at no point have Pakistan looked like the favourites, to me. At least uh, Australia have always looked or stayed ahead. They've always had two more wickets than what Pakistan would have liked to have lost at any stage. And that stands true even now. So the test is still in the balance. But provided Australia does go on and win this second test match in this series, Mitch Marsh made 41 in the first innings and 96 in the second innings. And he looked like he was on his way to going to back-to-back man-of-the-match awards. But it has to be Pat Cummins now, as you mentioned, with 548 yeah. in the first innings and another four in this innings just when Australia needed him. Yeah, and the impact, right? Like I said, uh, he did it in the first innings. Uh, as well, yes, he took ended up with five wickets, but uh, uh, staying back to that spell where he got rid of Abdullah Shafiq when they put on over 100 runs on the board and then bowled that spell to Babar Azam and knocked him over for the second straight time in the series. Uh, and, and similarly, again, he, today, every time uh, Pakistan have just felt like they have a sniff, um, he's, he's come and like, really shut the door on them. So, yeah, definitely man of the match. And also, I mean, the way he got rid of Rizwan in the first innings, you know, the setup, the, put the foots, the fielder in, uh, and the ball goes straight to him first ball. So, you know, there are some test matches where he's perfect bat, and this has been one of those test matches. The other one I want to mention, Barat, and I'm going to look after one of our own over here in Adelaide, Alex Carey. He's obviously been under a bit of pressure recently. We know what happened in the Ashes. He got dropped in the World Cup. He made 53 runs in the second innings, which might not sound like an incredible innings, but it might be the difference in the game to get Australia enough in their second knock to win this match. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, look at where we would be if uh, Alex Carey did not get those runs. Right? Pakistan would be uh, probably favourites at this stage despite having lost seven wickets. No, I think uh, more than anything, he needed it for himself. I mean, you could see yeah. just the way he's batted in this series or the start of the series. just lacked a little bit of confidence with the bat. Uh, which is why it was so good to see him uh, just get his bearings right. Even last evening, he didn't look at his best. But this morning, just the way he walked out, the way, way his bat was coming down, the arc of it, the arc at which it was coming down, you could see that it is the Alex Carey that we, especially in South Australia, are used to seeing. When you see him playing the cover drive the way he does, you know he's having uh, a good day with the bat and he's feeling really good about himself. Uh, and those are good signs and, and, and a crucial 50 for him. I, I mean, Everybody in the team management have said that he is their number one in test cricket, and I'm sure he is. But I think for his own good, uh, with still, what, three test matches to go after this, he innings um, he needed. And if it does end up in a match-winning cause, as I'm pretty sure it will, uh, even better. Great point. I, I feel, Barat, he didn't necessarily need to make those runs. Um, yeah. I think his spot is very safe. Having said that, I think it will just make him feel a little bit better about life. 
Oh, I have very much so. I think he'll, uh, he's generally a very uh, chill character, and he's seen a lot of setbacks in his life before. So, uh, this isn't new being left out of the World Cup squad, but just to end the year on a high, right? Yep. It started for him on a high. Uh, you know, last year he makes his uh, Test hundred uh, on Boxing Day or in the Boxing Day Test. Uh, you know, star, played a huge role in the WTC final. Started the Ashes so strongly. Just the way his last five or six months have gone in in international cricket for him to finish it on a high like this. Uh, will really, yeah, but just, just you know, get him back to where he was maybe 12 months back in terms of confidence. Talk to us about Babar Azam. You watch him very closely um, wherever he's playing cricket. He's come to Australia. He doesn't have the captaincy anymore. He he doesn't cut a lonely figure in the field, but he's, he's not the main man in the field, even though he's still mm. certainly the main man with the bat. He he showed signs today, but his feet still look really flat-footed. He still doesn't feel to me like he's the the player he was. What what have you noticed over uh, these first two test matches? Oh, I mean, 2022 was the year of Babar Azam, right? I mean, we were there in Pakistan when uh, he just couldn't stop scoring runs. Uh, but he did that across formats uh, all around the world. Uh, but 2023 just hasn't been his year. I mean, he didn't have a great World Cup. Uh, again, as captain, then giving up the captaincy, and just um, he seems to have gone into a little bit of a uh, or developed a, a worrying trend for him, where he keeps getting bowled through the gate. We, we've seen it even uh, in some innings. He's played in the subcontinent. We saw it in the World Cup, uh, and, and in this this Test match in particular, both innings falling their way. Uh, but yeah, he just has lacked that balance and decrease from what us or we will become accustomed to seeing from him. Uh, but today in particular, I thought he was getting his rhythm back when he was in that partnership with Shah Masood, just feeding off um, his ca- current captain's confidence. Uh, but then again, to fall that way, when he had his eye in, uh, unlike, say, in some of the previous innings in the series, um, yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit surprising. <laughs> and I've said this on commentary before, like I've seen him a lot in the nets during, uh, especially in the lead-up to this test, and Umar Gul, the former uh, Pakistan fast bowler turned bowling coach, he's been troubling him a lot in the nets as well. So I think maybe he's to blame. <laughs> now, Pat Cummins, he took five wickets in the first innings as it currently stands at the moment. He has four for 48 off 17 overs. So once again, his bowling average is going to come down again, uh, if that's even possible with what he's doing at the moment. Mm. Um, we saw him in Perth, and I was there with you, Barat. He bowled just as well as he's bowling here, but but didn't necessarily mm. get the, the the basket of wickets that he's getting here in Melbourne. But if it's possible, he does seem to be getting better. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, right? It's, it's a scary thought, uh, honestly. If you're the opposition or uh, any team that has to face Australia across formats, but especially in Test cricket. Um, and, and you look at his numbers for this year, uh, his, average, his average was in the 30s at the start of this test match. I think it had a lot to do with the baseball thing where uh, a lot of runs were scored and runs were scored quickly as well. Uh, but I think with Pat Cummins at times, as extraordinary as his numbers are, it's his impact that matters, right? Uh, you just, uh, like I've said a few times already, uh, what he's done with the ball in, across both innings. I mean, look at the nine wickets, but that the timing of those wickets and the way he's delivered for his team and uh, also the, the moments that he's picked to bring himself on, uh, which, and on cue, he's taken a swift wicket as well. So there you go. Um, a live update for you guys uh, on, on that <laughs> note. So now he has 10 for the match. Uh, and yeah, he, he, like I said, I spoke about Alex Carey, he is now back coming to his finishing his 2023 on a high. 
So he is finishing he gets, on a uh, height. Sorry, Dan, that means he now gets his uh, name on the honours board. He does. Uh, two in a row on the on the list, which will look very nice. Oh, yeah, very much so. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, he's had a, he's got a great record at the MCG. He loves playing on the big big stage, doesn't he? Um, and, yeah, and, and a crucial a crucial time as well. Like, yeah, I mean, now uh, eight down, Salman, Aga Salman is still out there, but now Australia firm, firm favourites are just uh, the last two to come. Uh, yeah, he could well finish up with that seven four. Like it, it, it's amazing that these three, these three fast bowlers, they, they, no, none of them has taken a seven four. But also tells you how much they share the wickets around. Uh, but I don't think Cummins is going to get a better chance than this to finish with seven. No, he certainly won't. Barat, we might let you get back in the chair and get the headset on because I reckon there's only about ten minutes left in play before we knock over Pakistan. Thanks, guys. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Umpire Joel Wilson was right. He's on our side. He wants to finish the game off. Well, <laughs> I think he might be right. <laughs> I think the umpires are under more pressure than anyone because we could get to a situation where it gets to 6.30 and they're nine down and we've yep. got to come back tomorrow for possibly one ball. Oh, just extended by 15 more minutes. Come on. I'm sure we can do <laughs> come that. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, even, I don't think they are allowed to do that. But anyway, we'll find out soon enough. Uh, Brad, thanks walk, very much. I'll walk onto the field and convince them why he's <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Barat. Thank you, Barat. Barat Sanderason joining us there live from the MCG. So, uh, Pat Cummins. Dan, we are talking about it yesterday, about that honours board. Um, yeah. And he's now got it two in a row and he, I think it's now four times he's taken five wickets at the MCG. So it's it's quite the record. Pakistan, eight for 237. It's Cummins' second 10-wicket haul in 57 test matches. So he gets the he gets the 10 for the match, obviously, with uh, two times five. Um, it's looking increasingly likely that this is going to finish quite quickly. Selwyn's 50 not out. Now, this is the thing, and it goes back to your point about that Mohamed Riz, Rizwan dismissal. Selman has two test centuries in 11 test matches. So he's no mug with a bat no. by any stretch of the imagination. And he's really playing, even though he bowls his offies, he's really playing as, a, as an extra bat for them, which enables them to play Rizwan and himself. They, they're interchangeable sort of, you know, six or seven. So, yeah, that was such a big moment in the match. A massive moment because Salman, who is still there, he has slightly changed the way that he's been batting since Rizwan went out. He's tried yep. to retain strike, which he's done very well. Um, Shaheen only faced the five deliveries basically over the last five overs. So he has changed a little bit the way he's playing. So it could have been a different game if Rizwan was still there. But you mentioned that this is Pat Cummins' second 10-wicket haul in a yep. match. I mean, every time they've needed a wicket in this game and it looks like Pakistan might be getting on top, he's just found a way to do it. It, it sounds like it's potentially his best test he's ever played in. Uh, it's... It's With that what way. he's done and the impact he has yep. had on this game, uh, I don't. Was he couldn't good, have done much yeah. better. Yeah, look, and I think what what it's also doing is it's really um, challenging people's views on on captaincy when it comes. Yes, to it is, cricket. isn't it? Yeah, because it's one of these things. Now, it doesn't sit comfortably with a lot of people captaincy, whether you're a batsman or a bowler. But I think particularly with Cummins as a bowler, it it feels like he's better when he's captain. Because he he's getting to the point now when when Australia needs a wicket, he goes to himself. Yes, he's got. And I think with the extra responsibility, he's got that comfortability to say, you know what, boys, come with me. I'm going to inspire you with leadership and quality fast bowling. And it's happening so often now that it's not happening by accident. 
Um, I think he, I think it's sitting really comfortably with him, and we've seen it in the World Cup at times as well, um, where there've been times where he hasn't necessarily been bowling well himself, but Australia needs a wicket, he goes to himself, they get a wicket, and it's happened, you know, quite a few times through this Test series already as well this summer. Yeah, and the best leaders lead by their actions, yep. and he is doing that to a T. And uh, I think it's challenging people on fast bowlers being captain, but I also think it's challenging people's opinions on Pat Cummins that might not have been the most positive. And yep. they're watching this and going, how can you not uh, love what this guy is doing? As Another wicket has just fallen. Another wicket has just fallen. So as uh, we assess what's going on, 9 for 237, let's take a listen to some of the highlights from today before the break. Tapping away, Hassan bowls to him. He goes after the drive and clouts it out through cover for the most stylish of boundaries. Freedy's doing the work at the moment. He bowls. Stark edges and he's caught at first slip. Mitch Stark goes. The seventh wicket taken. Up to the crease here. Bowls to Cummins. Past the inside edge. Shout for caught behind and it's given. That's nicely bowled. Jagged off the surface. Line off the hip. Fine for more. And that propels Australia beyond the lead of 300. Is Lions bold. Jamal straight through it. <laughs> Lions ended up with his bat on the pitch. That's how comprehensively he got beaten. Hamza, <laughs> last ball of the over. Carey drives through the field for his 50. It has been a timely knock in every way. It will calm the doubters. And it has guided Australia to a good total to bowl at. Carey hit on the pad, shout for league before, given. Michael Goff's finger went up with the appeal. Carey was across his stumps. It was full. And that will complete the Australian innings. Shafiq has the strike. Stark to him. He edges and he's caught a third slip. Kawaja up above his head. Hauls it in. Shafiq played the drive and he expires for four. Stark is bowling Yorker to Masood. He got it away off the toes. And he got it away with a fine piece of timing. Head's got a deep backward square after it. Masood runs the ball past Gully for back-to-back boundary. The cheating. Lions got through Masood. Onto the pad and he's out. Lions strikes. Sean Masood up to discuss it with Imam. And he is reviewing. Missing. Yeah. Up over the top. Delivering and Sean going back to cut and doing it beautifully. Straight at Mitch Marsh at point. Hammered it through cover point by the end. Can't get out to Cummins. Bowls here. He's hit on the pad again. Decision for Goff. Goes Cummins' way. But Pakistan are going to turn to the DRS. Line with middle. And umpire's call. The top of leg stump again. Hazelwoods to Baba, who clips off his toes through mid-wickets. That sounded and would have felt better. It will get there. Stark in, bolts to Shan Masood. He pushes him through the covers. Should get two. And will. That's Shan Masood's half century. He'll need to play the captain's knock to get them to 317. But he's batting with purpose. He's batting with belief. Last ball of the over. Lion over the wicket. Barbara's arm using his feet back over his head. Four runs. He crunched it hard. Lion thought he was in the frame there. Stuck up a mid. Captain to captain. Cummins bowls. Shan Masood edges to second slip. <laughs> It's always Cummins when they need him. The captain brings himself back and takes out the opposing captain who was batting brilliantly. Baba Azama is on strike. He bowled! Hazelwood crashes through. That's the wickets. And they all know it. Hazelwood mobbed by his teammates. Lion bowls. Nam back for Rizwan. Heaves it over mid-wicket straight away. 
Well, there's a sign of intent. Off the mark with a bigot. All the way for six. And arriving and bowling here and edging behind. Falls to the short ball. Attempter from Stark above the eye line. Shaquille, he just couldn't resist it. Lyon over the wicket. Bowls. Salman plays the late cut. Deftly for four. Back to back boundaries. Cummins in, bowls, Rizwan, uppercut, four. And Cummins on the way, bowls again, Rizwan ducks. Does he get something on it through? Cummins thinks he's loved it. He tried to duck, he turned away. The ball didn't get up from that awkward length. So it's come off the, the wristband. Oh, he's giving it. And, and he's giving it. Rizwan cannot out. believe it. He's remonstrating straight away with Joel Wilson at square leg, saying how... But Michael Goff's finger is about to go up. He's changing his decision. A moment of some controversy here at the G. Rizwan has no choice but to depart the 35. He has no recourse. And it was ultimately the decision that uh, cost Pakistan the match because it has finished while those highlights being played. Australia winning by 79 runs. We'll wrap up all the scores after this on Sports Day. Sports Day for Kia, the all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And for McDonald's, the Tim Tam McFlurry is back at Macca's, now available with rich chocolate soft serve. This is Sports Day. Yes, it is Sports Day with Adam White and Daniel Menzel with you as we go straight into the sports update. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Also a reminder, Ian Bell, not too far away, live from Marvel Stadium, assistant coach of the Melbourne Renegades. But Australia has won the second test at the MCG, so the decision from the umpires to uh, go for that extra half hour was a genius move from the umpires. They can go and play golf tomorrow morning now. It was genius, but it wasn't great for the Pakistanis. I reckon they would have taken seven down and gone to the sheds. Yeah, that's right. Australia too good. Yep, so 79 runs, the uh, official victory, and she did it end quickly. Um, after that dismissal of Mohammad Rizwan. So he was out for 35, and then uh, Salman was out for 50. Jamal for a duck, Shaheen Sharafredi for a duck, and Hamza out for a golden duck. So uh, the last four, 0 0 0 0. Now, admittedly, <laughs> Hassan Ali was not out zero, but that's how quickly it ended. Um, was it 8 for 237, 9 for 237, 10 for 237? So that's how quickly it ended for Pakistan. So the highest score for, for the innings, Shah Masood, the captain, got 60. Uh, Baba Azam got 41. And uh, Agar Selman got 50. And um, just looking through some of the, I guess, the partnerships and where the game was at. At one point, Pakistan uh, were 2 for 110. Uh, they were 5 for 219. Yeah, there were there was just flickers that was of the hope, one, wasn't there? Five for yeah. two hundred nineteen, less than a hundred runs to win the game. That's where yeah. it was, and then Rizwan, the controversy around that, he was out, and in the end, that ended all of Pakistan's hopes. And that's what Australia does; it's just relentless. And I think yeah. that's to me, that's the word that best describes this Australian team. I don't think it quite has the brilliance um, that maybe some of the other teams have had. Um, I feel that some of the star players in the Australian team are off their tucker a little bit, and we spoke about Steve Smith last night. Um, they, you know, David Warner is obviously coming to the end. Um, just they just don't seem to have quite the the capacity to go really big with the batting. 
but it's the bowling that is just yeah. so steady and there's so no reliable. weak link. And they're reliable, they're consistent, they're relentless, and they just get the job done. And, and this is what they've done here. They've won by 79 runs. And I reckon at times Pakistan maybe even had the better of a lot of the four days, but they, they find themselves losing by 79 runs. Without a doubt. Pakistan should be proud of how they played this test match. They didn't get the result, but they had uh, some real wins throughout the sessions. And what you mentioned there with the bowling attack, it's the cohesion. They've bowled together and played together for such a long time now that they are so reliable. They know what they have to do and they do a, a test match in and test match out. And again, another win to put us 2-0 up in the series which is an unassailable lead with only one to go. So Pat Cummins, five for 49. Uh, and Mitchell Stark, four for 55. Josh Hazelwood, the only other wicket taker, one for 34. But it was a big wicket there of Bubba Razam. Uh, so going on now to other things uh, as part of the Brant Sports update. The Melbourne Stars have made it two wins in a row after, after defeating the Hobart Hurricanes last night. Now, this was one of those borderline farcical matches where... Yep. Hobart batted their time and then the Stars were given, what was it, seven overs to get... Seven overs to get 67. Yeah. And now when you've got 10 wickets in hand, that's almost impossible not to get because you can just go hard from start to finish. Well, you knew if Maxwell was there was there at the yeah. end of the seven overs or at least until at least five overs in, they were home. And he was. He made 35 off 18. He also took three wickets with the ball as well. Yeah, and I'm not sure whether you saw a couple of the shots he played. There was one oh. where he sliced it over backward point for yep. six and then the reverse sweep six as well. He can just do things that other people can't do. He, he can. The Hurricanes did have the Stars three for six off 1.4 overs. So, again, you knew, though, they need to get Maxwell. They get him, game is done. They didn't get him. And as a result, player of the match, Glenn Maxwell, and the Stars win two in a row. The Renegades are in action tonight at home. Now, that game's starting in just over half an hour, and you can hear that on uh, all your SEN uh, cricket platforms. Um, big news coming out of the Renegades is that Nick Maddinson, the captain of the Renegades, mm. has been dropped for tonight's game. And as a result of Nick Maddinson being dropped, uh, no Aaron Finch or Sean Marsh captaining the team. It'll go to Will Sutherland. So that is quite significant for not only Nick Maddinson, but also... Uh, for Will Sutherland with uh, the Renegades taking on the Strikers. It is, and we've mentioned, and I'm looking forward to asking Ian Bell about this, they had a lot of openers in that side, so or at least a lot of guys that bat in the top three. So Finch is not in there, Maddinson's out now as well. Maybe it's balance. Uh, it'd be a good question to ask. Yeah, so Mackenzie Harvey will come into the team, so Aaron Finch is still out with that back issue. Mackenzie Harvey would like to open the batting as well. So <laughs> when you look at the team, and it's DeCock, Clark, Fraser McGurk, Sean Marsh, John Wells, Mackenzie Harvey, five of those six would want to open the batting, and you've got Aaron Finch and Nick Maddinson. They would also like to open the batting. So it is quite a bizarre team that they have. But uh, that is the team they've got, and they've got a massive game up against the Strikers. We know the Strikers to be a good team, and we know that the Renegades definitely need a victory. Now, the Perth Wildcats uh, remaining trenched in the top two. It didn't seem that long ago that the Perth Wildcats were a club under pressure, under siege. But after a big win last night in Adelaide, they're going quite nicely, Dan. They are. They've won seven of their last nine matches. They they lost an overtime game to Melbourne United, the benchmark of the competition last week. So they are rolling at the moment off the back of MVP favourite Bryce Cotton, who dropped another 24 points last night on the 36ers. The Melbourne, uh, Melbourne City in the A-League defeated Brisbane Roar at home 8-1. How about now, this score? Oh, this, this came from nowhere because City haven't been going particularly well and Roar have been going quite well. Yes. 
Um, but eight goals, it doesn't happen, obviously, very often. Jamie McLaren got another hat-trick. Um, we've talked about this uh, before the show today. I don't think Jamie McLaren gets the attention he should in Australian sport, not football, Australian sport. He's a dead-set superstar. He's done it overseas. He's done it internationally for the Socceroos, and he continually, continually does it for Melbourne City. He is he's box office. He is. He's now become the leading all-time scorer in the A-League. He's gone past Bezart Berisha, and we know how good Bezart was back in his heyday for Brisbane Raw in particular, and then he went to Melbourne. But, yeah, Jamie McLaren, the most goals in the history of the A-League, he certainly doesn't get the plaudits that he should. We're talking before about sports people that are reliable. He is reliable. He just scores and scores a lot. And, again, I just don't understand how he doesn't get the attention he should for someone that he's playing here in this country when he probably could have been, could still be playing overseas, he chooses to play in Australia and uh, he continues to shine. There's no doubt about that. Just quickly, before we go to a break, um, APL scores, we've got to mention them. We've also got to mention um, what happened in South Africa because South Africa beat India in a test match at Centurion again. India just can't play good cricket in South Africa. Um, but South Africa with a very um, inexperienced team, Yep. Outside a couple of players have beaten India by over in innings. And if it wasn't for Virat Kohli, they would have been dismissed for under 100. So it was a terrific effort from South Africa. It really was. Dean Elgar was the player of the match with his 185. They made 408 in the first inning, South Africa. And India, 245 and 131. And you're right, you're right. Virat made 76 of their 131 in the second inning. So not great for India. Rabada and Berger both took seven wickets for the match. So South Africa, a convincing win over India at uh, Centurion. And in the EPL, two games overnight. Arsenal, uh, they went down at home to West Ham in a London derby, which was... A big surprise, despite the fact Arsenal dominated the game, they couldn't score. 30 shots to six in this game Arsenal had, and yet they lost the game 2-0. It just shows you've got to be clinical in soccer and in the EPL. And Tottenham lost 4-2 at Brighton. Uh, Brighton led 4-0. Tottenham scored twice late and could have easily scored two more times late uh, to make it 4 all, but uh, they didn't, and they lost 4-2. So a big win for Brighton. And uh, more injury issues and unavailable issues for Tottenham um, ahead of their next game in a couple of days' time. Um, it's very sad. Uh, we'll take a break <laughs> and uh, come back with Ian Bell live from Marvel Stadium. Sports Day for Kia. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And for McDonald's. The Tim Tam McFlurry is back at Macca's. Now available with rich chocolate soft serve. This is Sports Day. Yes, it is Sports Day on this Friday night. You're with Adam White and also Daniel Menzel. Let's go straight out to Marvel Stadium because uh, this is a real treat for a number of reasons. Uh, Firstly, we're only uh, 20 minutes away from the opening ball of the Renegade Strikers Clash and uh, the assistant coach is joining us, seeing Ian Bell. And, Dan, I was was showing my sons Ian Bell highlights on how to hit a cover drive on YouTube about uh, two nights ago. Now we're talking to him. Uh, live on the radio. Ian, thanks very much for your time. Evening, guys. How are we doing? Going well, thank you. There's a bit going on at the Renegades at the moment. Obviously, the only winless side in the competition at the moment, despite playing some pretty good cricket, mind you. But uh, unfortunately for Nick Maddinson, he's lost his spot in the team. Can you tell us exactly what's happened? Yeah, I mean, that was Maddo's decision, really. I think as captain, he feels he probably hasn't performed like he'd like. And you know, some guys have trained well and deserve an opportunity. You know, we're halfway through the comp now, as you said. 
you know, played some nice cricket, probably not ruthless enough at times. And in these kind of competitions and the standard that we're playing, you can't afford to have bad sessions or bad overs. So, um, yeah, that was a big call for him himself. And obviously, you know, we'll support him through this. And uh, But hopefully the other guys will stick their hand up tonight and we uh, get our comp off and running. The latter obviously did does dictate this a little bit, but it looks like things have got very serious for the Renegades. Sorry, I lost you there a, a second then. Yeah, I was just saying, obviously the, the latter dictates this a, a lot, but things have got serious for the Renegades. Yeah, I mean, like I said, every game is uh, you need to step up and play, don't you, and, and, and play to your best. We haven't managed to do that yet. Like I said, there's been glimpses. Um, you know, we want to do this right. You know, like I said, we can't keep going on uh, not winning, so we have to make some changes. And... Um, like I said, at this level of, of cricket. So, look, we want to put on a big performance tonight for the team, but also for the supporters as well. They have come out in, in good force, looking around Marvel now. So, it's proud. So, we want to come to those guys. Now, Ian, a lot of openers in the lineup is what we've sort of spoken about a little bit off air with Quinnan de Kock, Joe Clark, Finch isn't playing tonight, Sean Marsh, Fraser McGurk comes in at three. How do you balance that? There's a lot of guys that could be in your top two, but effectively you've got them in three, four, five, and six. Yeah, that's right. I mean, again, you have to be flexible as a player as well, but we do have some, some quality players, like I said, maybe. And I thought Sean Marsh of the night at four. I mean, we've seen what he can do, and he's done that for such a long time and in the big bash. So, yeah, certainly, like you said, the luxury positions in this format of the game is opening the batting. So, obviously, we've got one of the best in the world in Quinton de Kock, and obviously Joe Clark's been a performer in the BBL. So, we need some of these, certainly the senior guys tonight, to, to, uh, to step up at the hand up. Um, like I said, there's a load of match winners everywhere. We've just got to make sure we do it tonight uh, out in the middle. Now, Ian, the strikers won the toss and have chose to bat. So what's the plan on how you contain the firepower at the top with the two shorts we know about, Lynn Hose? There's a, a lot of firepower in the Adelaide strikers lineup. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we're going to have to be on it from ball one. We're going to have to use that new ball well. I mean, one of our strengths is obviously our, our world-class spin in, in Majib and, and Adam Zampa. So that's an area here. Again, we're on the same pitch as the first game. So hopefully a little bit of spin, which suits our style. Uh, but we're going to have to be very good at putting that power play and then hopefully use that spin uh, through the middle overs, which, um, you know, wicket takers. And that's something we haven't necessarily got right just yet, but we have the ability to do that. And part of Nick going out of the team means that Will Sutherland will captain the side. Now, I'm not sure how much you've had to do with Will in your short time with the Renegades, Ian, but he is the, the captain of Victoria. He's a young captain, but he's been outstanding since he's taken over that leadership role. What, what do you expect to see from Will tonight? No, he, he spoke incredibly well to the guys just now and, like I said, he's an impressive young man, actually, uh, having, like you said, a, a bit to do with him in the last few weeks. You know, he's, he's impressive the way he goes about his game. Uh, he's a smart thinker about the game and he's got a big future, not only like the way he plays and his talent and, you know, like I said, with his all-round ability. But, um, yeah, he's a real thinker of the game and he's done a great job for Victoria so far. And uh, hopefully this is, again, for him, he takes this opportunity uh, and it might be signs to see for the future a, a young, uh, young all-rounder that could lead this franchise for a while. Speaking of captains, uh, the former Adelaide Strikers captain is back in tonight for you guys, Peter Siddle. So what's the messaging there? Does he obviously know how to bowl to a few of these Strikers players and hopefully can have an impact? Absolutely, yeah. Unfortunately, Richo was the miss out. Paul didn't pull up too well after travel back from Perth. But um, yeah, no, I mean, Sid knows what he's doing. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, he's done it for Victoria this year as well and speaks to him a lot. Obviously, he's still playing so much cricket in England and, and over here. So he knows what he's doing. Um, you know, he's obviously got some great insight on the strikers. So, like I said, hopefully um, he has a great game. He deserves his great man, and he's been great. Like I said, it's like a player-coach role, good mentor for a lot of our younger bowlers and players. So, um, hopefully he goes well tonight. One more, Ian, because I know how busy you are. I, I'm just looking at the team now. 
it does look a strong team. And if you can get rolling, anything's still possible when you look at the, the quality that is in this 11 and in, probably in the, in the 14 or 15. 100%. And, then, and I think when, before the tournament starts, we look at that and we, we know we've got the quality, as, as a lot of other teams have here. But so we haven't quite got it right now. But it's a great time tonight to, to put it all together. And I think if we can put, you know, 20 overs with the bat and 20 with the ball, put it all together, then we'll be a real dangerous team, as you say, get on a bit of a run. Thanks for joining us. I know how busy you are. I really appreciate your time. No and uh, good luck Cheers, for tonight and the rest of the tournament. Cheers. Cheers, Bell. Cheers. No worries at all. Ann Bell joining us there. Uh, live from the ground uh, on yeah, the phone. It's great to um, get. It's very good of him to, to join us. Sports Day for Kia. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And for McDonald's. Crispy, crunchy golden onion rings are back at Macca's. And they come with tangy barbecue sauce. This is Sports Day. Yes, it is Sports Day on this Friday night. Adam White and also Daniel Menzel with you to round out the week. Adam White in Melbourne, Daniel Menzel in Adelaide. Now, we have got all sorts of tennis about to kick off officially. It's the it's also not just the, the summer of cricket, but it's the summer of tennis, Dan, and it the is. voice of tennis at SEN and all... Uh, our networks is definitely Brett Phillips, and he joins us to have a bit of a preview since uh, it's all getting underway. BP, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, we are underway officially with the second instalment of the United Cup, this uh, team event. We're not sure about its uh, long-term future with everything rumbling around uh, mm-hmm. what the calendar might look like in about 12 months' time with the influence of Saudi Arabia. But, yeah, we're underway in Perth, and Sydney gets underway tomorrow, and, of course, uh, Brisbane... Uh, the Brisbane International with uh, Rafa as the the major draw card gets underway Sunday. So, yeah, we're into the thick of it. Now, I want to talk to you about that live style type of situation, but we'll park that for the moment get back to it because I want to talk about what's kind of happening at the moment. You mentioned Rafa Nadal. I think that's so exciting to kind of start the summer of tennis that he's going to be in Brisbane. He's already there, in fact, and to sort of work out where he's at going into a an Australian Open, I think it's a it's a it's a perfect way to to almost kickstart the, the next month. No doubt. Look, he's going to find out. We're going to find out just where he's at. And I don't know if you've seen the footage uh, today, Adam, but uh, he they took him into the mall in the, in the heart of Brisbane there, and I don't know how many people were there. It was absolutely jam packed just to get a glimpse of Rafa. He did a Q and A. He signed autographs. Uh, he's always been willing, uh, Nadal, uh, to go above and beyond for a, a tournament. And look, he's had a, a hit already. He does look sharp. I've been obviously following in the last month as he's ramped up the preparations. And this is this hasn't been easy for him to come back. We haven't seen him play since January. He really didn't start hitting till about August. He needed a lot of rest. He had the abdominal issue. He had the hip issue. He's had you know, additional surgery. Was he going to come back? He always said he wanted to finish his career on court. and that, I mean, Roger Federer had that wish as well and unfortunately didn't quite pan out that way for Roger, apart from that little cameo at the end of the Labor Cup. But Nadal, look, hasn't absolutely said, I'm retiring, but he's strongly hinted this is probably going to be his last year, realistically, on the tour. We don't know what it's going to look like, but at least we get an early glimpse in Brisbane. I think the draw's coming out in about an hour's time, so we'll, we'll find out who he will play round one. I think he probably won't get out on court until Monday. Uh, but, yeah, it's huge for the Brisbane International, Adam and Dan, which you know, makes its return. First time in four years. The people of Brisbane wanted their own tournament back. And, uh, you know, this facility, 
uh, is going to get better and better, uh, obviously, with the Olympics, you know, coming up in about, what, eight or nine years' time, they'll uh, continue to improve, you know, Pat Rafter Arena. So, BP, just while we're on Rafa, and I want to start him for a second here, he won the 2022 Australian Open and just came from nowhere to win that one. He's 37 years of age now. Is it too much to ask that probably the fan favourites outside the Australians at the Oz Open can compete and win it this year? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that, that final, uh, Dan, oh, that's one of the most enjoyable nights I've had in the yep. UCM bunker when he was absolutely on the ropes against Medvedev, and he's given us, I mean, that warrior uh, performance so many times that you struggle to remember which is the best one, but I feel like that one was uh, extra special. I mean, look, it would be a huge effort. You know, we always hoped Roger was going to you know, win one late, and when he lost that Wimbledon final at about the same age to Djokovic, uh, that was heartbreaking. That was probably his, realistically his last chance. Look, I think we just need to get a look at a couple of matches um, to see what he's like. Uh, it'd be the absolute fairy tale, no doubt. I mean, obviously, Novak owns the Australian Open red hot favourite to win an 11th. Uh, but, you know, Nadal, hopefully, there's, you know, some icing on the cake of this career this year, wherever that might be. I mean, obviously, he'd love to win Roland Garros one more time. He's targeted playing at the Olympics, probably with Alcaraz, if he gets to that stage, which is, you know, obviously a long way down the track. Um, I don't think he can probably win it. Look, he's actually lowered his own expectations. He still wants, he just wants to come back and be competitive, end his career on court, whatever that looks like. But he's also realistic that, you know, there might not be another major in the bag. So then do you think that you mentioned Djokovic, who is always the heavy favourite? We touched on Nadal. Is there anyone else that you want to see at the United Cup or the Brisbane International so that we've got a bit more of an idea heading into the Australian Open who might be the other contenders this year? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, that that young brigade, uh, which we're going to see in the lead-up to the Australian Open split between playing the United Cup and Brisbane, that young brigade... This is the question going into 2024. You know, can these guys... And Elkaraz winning Wimbledon showed it's possible. But then, you know, Djokovic wins the other three. But can all these guys, Sinner, Holger Runa, uh, Carlos Elkaraz, who didn't have a great uh, back half of the season. And then you've got Ben Shelton, the exciting young American, you know, quarter of the Australian Open, semi of the US from nowhere last year. He's a big-time performer. And there's a few others that, you know, might be able to... Uh, step up but that's the challenge to beat Novak best of five not just in a one hit sort of wonder slam you know trying to do this consistently so that's the big uh, that's the big challenge but I think on the women's side this is an intriguing year it's the comeback of you know the mums you know Naomi Osaka I've been watching her train in Brisbane she looks good I mean she's had to obviously get her match fitness back uh, Angelique Kerber three-time major champion also coming back 18 months out of the game, giving birth. Uh, we saw a little bit of Caroline Wozniacki at the back end of last year at the US Open. She's coming back. Uh, Emma Raducanu is going to be coming back, US Open winner, who took time off the surgery uh, this year. So, yeah, the women's side's really intriguing as to whether any of those can make some impact into Igor Fiontek, who's had an incredible couple of years, Arena Sabalenka, Australian Open champion of uh, the last 12 months, and Elena Rybakina, the, the Wimbledon champion, going back. They've sort of been the big three at the moment. So I want to see if these uh, these mums can come back and make a, a real impression second time around. It is remarkable. I, I heard you actually talking to Julian DeStoop about this on on SEN Mornings last week. But just that whole narrative around the the mums, 
But because from the women's point of view, since Serena kind of dropped away or, or just stopped playing, it is a total raffle every time there is a, a, a major championship with the women. But then when you throw in this curveball, anything's mm. possible from a, from a women's draw. And that's what makes it, I think, really exciting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the women's has been like this for a little while. This is why it's one of the hardest questions yeah, I get asked right. every slam at them. Who's going who's gonna to win? Well, you know, it's gone throw, from throw Serena. Yeah, it's gone from Serena to now just have to take the field in the quaddy. <laughs> yeah, and, and exactly. And you, you think back when Emma Raducanu won that US Open as a qualifier at 150 in the world, you go, well, yeah. don't even ask me this question again. No, if she's right. going to pop up and win, this <laughs> is mission impossible trying to answer. So. Yeah, there's a lot of depth in the women's, um, and they're fearless. You know, they don't they don't go out and play the resume on the other side of the net. They just play their game. You know, they hit the, they've been playing since they were a youngster. They back themselves in. They got confidence. So yeah, anything can happen. We hope an Australian can make a bit of impact. Although you know, certainly on the women's side, it's a bit of an uphill battle. Uh, but you know, on the men's side, we've got a you know, obviously a big contingent of Aussies. I'd like to see more between zero and fifty because the demons. You know, sitting up there on the verge of being in the top 10, that's got to be his goal in 2024. But, you know, Purcell and Popran and Vukic, you know, Kokonakis, can he play his best tennis now? Because he's probably the most talented out of <laughs> that batch. You know, Rinky Hitchie, yep. Carter stepping up, yep. Jason Kubler. So I, I think they can all be pretty competitive uh, this Aussie summer. Yeah, BP, I was going to ask you about that because Nick Kyrgios is not going to be playing in the Australian Open, which is disappointing for Australian fans. But is it as simple as the Demon and Kokonakis, the two maybe most well-known to your casual fans, that will be the greatest hopes at the Australian Open for the Aussies? Yeah, and I'd say watch out for Max Purcell. And uh, I've just been talking to the man who... Uh, well, he, Max uh, was coached by Nathan Healy, who played on the tour, coached Leighton right at the back end of his career. He did an amazing job with Max. And as this as happens in tennis, uh, because the player's the CEO, they can flick the coach whenever they like. And now he's... <laughs> and Nathan said, on, Nathan said on the first serve on our, our show two years ago when I asked him, you know, the ceiling for Max, he said top 20. And I nearly fell off my chair. Wow. Not thinking he wasn't capable of it, but he was a long way back then. Here he is at about 45 in the world. Nathan's come back for uh, stint two as the coach. So it'd be fitting if he could take Max to the top 20. He's got absolute X factor written all over him. And he's now maturing 25. I think the best is still to come. But yeah, I mean, Alex Dumanor, he's leading the charge. He's inspiring the rest of them. And, you know, the expectation now is that Alex is around that sort of fourth round quarterfinal mark at least, and then it comes down to, you know, matchups. Okay, before we let you go, BP, I did want to ask you about the, the live situation when it comes to tennis, for want of a better term. Jessica Bagula has spoken about it just in the last 24 hours, saying it's inevitable. And it probably is when you think of the similarities between golf and tennis and the way that they run their, their tours, and it's an individual sport, and a lot of the tennis players complain they play too much because... Part of their responsibility is to play around the world, to keep it a world sport. Um, where do you think this will end up? I know it's a difficult question, and we're probably opening Pandora's box, but where, where do you think it'll yep. end up? Yeah, there's a lot of delicate discussions going on at the moment, and the tours are taking their time to work through all this. There's a lot of stakeholders. It's obviously a part of the world that um, draws attention because of what happens in that country, particularly for the uh, the women's side. Now, the WTA 
aren't as flush financially as the ATP, right? So they want to secure, um, you know, the, the future of women's tennis. I mean, their goal, I think, by 2033 is to have total equality in uh, in prize money right across to the tour and uh, in, in matching uh, the men uh, separate from the Grand Slams, which obviously have the equal prize money. Uh, they'd love a home for their flagship event, the WTA Finals, which has been moved here, there and everywhere, and you know, do a 10-year deal with Saudi Arabia. There'd be a huge injection of money. But the top end, which you hope then will filter down also to give more players a chance of making a living, the ATP uh, have certainly said that, you know, they don't want to take over situations. <laughs> they want to go into partnership uh, from a tennis perspective, grow the game in that part of the world, but also uh, a, a bigger picture of the influence they might be able to have on Saudi Arabian society. So there's a lot going on, Adam. I mean, in 12 months' time, they're saying that possibly there could be a, a big Masters 1000 event in Saudi Arabia, which would clash with the Aussie summer, uh, which will be interesting to see how that looks. This is why the United Cup, it's not set in stone. It's a long-term future. Look, a lot's going to unfold in 2024. Um, but if that money can not just be for the top echelon, yes. but can filter down to the 250... What I mean by that is that the money actually gets palm down into the ATP and WTA coffers so that prize money can go up on the secondary tour, the challenger tour, down to the ITF tour, so that more can be above you know the bread line, so to speak, because that's that, what that, tennis yeah. needs. There's no doubt about that. Something that I think is, I'm really passionate about this, because I think it is actually farcical that we are still in a situation that if you are a player ranked 142 in the world trying to mm-hmm. play in the Australian Open, Odds are that you are staying in a youth hostel or sharing accommodation with two or three others because it is so hard to break even as a professional tennis player ranked 142 in the world to be a a professional player and and make a living out of it. Whereas the 142 ranked Australian footballer is probably on $600,000 a year. It, It just doesn't make sense that tennis can be in this situation? No, and it can depend on the federation you come from. Now, this is where the Australian players are lucky, in a sense, that they come from a Grand Slam nation. Uh, obviously, they can get wild cards into a major. I mean, it's huge for the Aussies. You know, the prize money's just gone up today, 10%. If you, you know, if you, even if you lose in the first round, it's going to be $120,000 Australian in the first round of the Australian Open. So that sets your whole year up, you know, yep. to, for your travel and, uh, you know, coaching and any additional support you need on the road because the Aussies are spending so much time. But if you're coming from a, uh, a much poorer tennis federation who aren't supplying any funding and you're basically on your own, running your own business on the road, expenses, income, it, it, it is tough. I mean, the ATP this year have brought in a baseline model where they're trying to look after at least the top 250. So if you get injured or you have time off the tour, they will top up a little bit so that you're um, in a, in a you know, okay financial situation, not scrapping for pennies. But yeah, the WTA certainly isn't as flush uh, money-wise. But And that's why both tours are trying to find a way, yeah, certainly to... Um, you know, encourage kids down the track that, that tennis is an attractive sport to make it more attractive than it ever has been. Yeah, absolutely. Brett, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, good luck over the next month. I know you're not going to get much sleep uh, and you'll be doing a lot of talking and a lot of calling and a lot of hosting, um, But uh, and we'll hear from you a lot over the next month or so, but uh, good luck with it all. No, thank you, Adam. Thanks, Dan. Talk soon, guys.
Thanks, Pepe. Brad Phillips, uh, the voice of tennis on SEN. There's no doubt about that with United Cup uh, kicking off today, the Brisbane International from Sunday, and obviously the Australian Open in the second half of January. Now, I think we're ready for our surf report. Um, and our vo- our man, he's back. He's he's actually on the phone, I think. you've. Uh, there's, uh, he's going to be there very shortly. Just getting him now. Well, we've got, we've got to get him on because then we've got to do our top seven. Um, so we're very keen to get into our top seven tonight after the overwhelming success of it last night. Well, we also have to get him on too because we're both not surfers, so no, we won't get exactly the greatest right. surf update. Uh, but I'm looking forward to your top seven uh, bowlers under 25. Yeah, so we're going to the, do the bowlers, the top 25 bowlers. Not the top 25. It'll take, <laughs> take too long. The, the top seven bowlers who are, who are 25 or less, which is quite... Yes. It's actually more difficult than doing the batters. But uh, Nick Robbins uh, is on the phone for us because he's got the surf update for Urban Surf Melbourne. Book now and score waves. Nick, what have you got for us? Well, the weather has improved. I can say that much to you, Whitey. Um, Still small conditions, not great for actual surfing, more great for just being on the beach, having a bit of a suntan, maybe a shore break or two. And that's all along the Victorian coast, all the way up to the mid coast. So you know what? Maybe just go out, play some beach cricket, or maybe head down to Urban Surf. You're going to get a lot better waves there every time. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for that, Nick. That's good news for me. I'm going to the beach tomorrow, and I'm going not to surf, but for classic catches uh, yes. with the family. So that might work out quite well. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. No worries. Enjoy. <laughs> Nick joining us there with a very quick surf update for Urban Surf. Melbourne Book now and score waves. And I think the key to it all is we're starting to learn this that you're best just to go to Urban Surf in Melbourne because you're going to get perfect waves every day. Yeah, you get the waves that you're after, and I'm guessing that you're able to do the different levels of it as well. (laughs) So for myself and yourself, we can start on the beginners and work our way up. On the boogie board, just sort of going into into safety. All right. (laughs) All right, we're ready here for my top seven bowlers aged 25 and under in Australia. It is for McDonald's. The Tim Tam McFlurry is back at Macca's. So what I'll do is what I did yesterday. I'll go through my list and you can pick holes in it. I have found the bowlers to be a lot more difficult than the batters, I must say. There are a few bowlers that are just a tick over 25, so mm-hmm. they miss out. I'm talking about guys like Wes Agar and also Corey Roccaccioli from uh, WA. Um, so they just miss out. But this is my list. Lance Morris is number one, 25 years of age. It's the obvious one. 22 first-class matches, 74 wickets at 25.44. We know he's close to his test debut. The key to Lance Morris is two things. His airspeed, he bowls consistently over 150 kilometres an hour. And if you think back to the test matches we've just had in Perth and also Melbourne, players are struggling to get to 140, whereas Lance Morris can get to 150. But it's his strike rate that stands out to me. In first-class cricket, his strike rate is 42.4, which is really low and just shows what a weapon he's going to be for Australia at some point. Uh, Number two on the list, Todd Murphy. He's only 23. We've got to remember he's only 23. Correct. Uh, 19 first-class matches, 58 wickets at 31. But what's impressive is six test matches with 21 wickets at an average of 25.42. And what he has proven from a first-class point of view is that he senses when he needs to take a wicket for his team and he can find ways to get batsmen out, good batsmen out. But I think also from a test point of view, he's shown that he can get out the best players in the world 
and he's done that in two different sets of conditions in the subcontinent where he got out the very good players from India yep. and also in an ashes didn't do so well obviously at Headingley but learnt from that and I thought bowled really well at the Oval so we know that he's got a bright future this uh, Sheffield Shield season he was bowling with an injury to his shoulder which ended up forcing him to sit out a couple of matches before the big bash but I think he'll be back firing uh, very much when we get back to Shield cricket in February uh, number three is another Victorian surprise surprise but uh, this guy can really play. His name is Mitchell Perry. He's only 23 years of age, 34 first-class matches, already 93 wickets. But what he's been able to do in a short space of time is go from being the junior burger in the team with a lot of experience around him to essentially being the spearhead of the attack at only 23. So he does a lot of the, the tough overs. Uh, he's one they turn to when they need a wicket. Um, he's an aggressive bowler. He can move the ball in the air and off the seam. And I think he's only getting better and better as he gets stronger. And I think he is someone that will definitely play cricket for Australia and it won't be too far um, away either, I think. I think he's really got that sort of ability. Um, the next one is actually, uh, he comes from Queensland and he's been injured. So he's missed the first lot of the Sheffield Shield season. And that's Xavier Bartlett. Yep. Um, Xavier Bartlett, a big, strong bowler. Bustles in. He's a real competitor. He's a workhorse. Uh, I think he's someone that uh, he's only played 18 matches, but he's already got 62 wickets at 26. Um, I love what he can do. Um, I love how hard he tries. As I said, he's a real competitor. There's a lot of them up in Brisbane that are tall, strong kind of guys, but I think he's the pick of the bunch, Xavier Bartlett. Yeah, he's, well, he's taken nine wickets so far in the Big Bash as well. So he started yes. in sensational form there. So I'm not surprised he's in your list. So he's at four. Who have you got at five? He's at four. Okay, number five. This is one of my favourites. It's a bit of a smoky, this one. And I know you know this guy, Jordan Buckingham. Yeah, Jordan Buckingham, he's only 23. Uh, he's played 15 first-class matches with 52 wickets. But what I like about Jordan is I think that there is so much scope for improvement with this guy. He's coached currently by Jason Gillespie, and there's a lot of Jason Gillespie about the way he bowls. And he has had a couple of opportunities to play for Australia, eh? particularly in that series against New Zealand Day at the very start of the summer. And he was outstanding. He, he bowls was. balls that gets players out. Unplayable deliveries. A, an aggressive bowler. Um, I love what he can do. And I think, as I said, there's so much scope for improvement for this guy. I think he's a real star in the future. Even though he's in and out of the South Australian team at the moment, um, there aren't too many bowlers that are playing every game of Sheffield Shield cricket at the moment for their respective states who are 25 years or under. So we've got to be patient with these guys. But Jordan Buckingham, I think he's got this X factor that's really, really exciting. Yeah, if you didn't have him in there, I would have had an issue with this, Whitey. His, <laughs> his best has been outstanding so far in the Sheffield Shield this year for the Redbacks. It's just the consistency, which comes with age. He's 23 years of age, as you yep. mentioned. But yes, Jordan Buckingham at number five. Who have you got at number six? All right, Will Sutherland is at number six. Now, Will can easily fall into that all-rounder category, but I believe if he's going to play for Australia, he will be the third seamer as opposed to that all-rounder because I think there are too many good players ahead of him um, yep. who you know fit in that category. Cameron Green and Aaron Hardy are the two that stand out. But I think Sutherland can play as the third seamer as he goes along. So I think too many people judge Will as that all-rounder as opposed to just looking at his bowling. He led all comers for Sheffield Shield wickets last year for the season with 41 wickets. Uh, and you look at his career, 37 matches, but already 115 wickets. 
And he's another one that leads from the front now. He is captain. But when Victoria needs a wicket, he's the one that invariably gets the wicket. If they need someone to bowl 10 overs for 15 runs on the bounce, he'll be that one that does it. He's got a great economy rate. I think he's someone that is very, very consistent, very reliable, and he's someone that is probably slowly just getting better and better and better. Uh, and his natural progression man. is really nice, and I think that is obvious. Who have you got at seven? All right, my last one, I've agonised over this. I almost went with Jack Nisbet, who's really young from New South Wales. I almost went with Fergus O'Neill, who's doing really well, particularly at the MCG, where conditions suit. But I'm, I'm going with Jack Edwards from New South Wales. Uh, 30 wickets at 30 from his 28 matches. Again, a bit of an all-rounder, but I think his improvement's going to come from his bowling. He's got to get his body right. He's had some injury issues even this summer, but I think the scope for him is massive. I think he can really improve. Uh, and can become a really high-quality bowler, much like Will Sutherland in that third seamer role that can get that lower-order runs at sort of seven or eight as well uh, and open up opportunities from a selection point of view to, to, to maybe play a, a, another spinner as well. So I really like him as a, as a bowler for the future. Quick one. Tanvir Sanger, was he a chance to make it? I just don't think he's played enough first-class cricket. Sure, sure. That's he my concern with him. I, yeah, I had him there, but whether he's just a white ball man, I'm not sure yet. Yep. Yep. Um, but that would be the way. That's where I've looked at it. We need more time to discuss and for you we to do. We certainly do. We'll do that next time we do the show together in a couple of weeks. Look forward to it. Have a great week, Dan. Had, had a lot of fun. I do too. See you guys.